Today we have just come through one of the brightest, one of the sort of highest moments, most powerful moments in the entire church calendar, Easter Sunday. Last Sunday we celebrated the triumph of Jesus Christ over death and the victory of our God over the powers of darkness. But this morning, as we come into the first Sunday following Easter, the question I I want us to consider, and I think it's a question we ask not only on this Sunday, but really any morning following Easter, is where do we go from here? How do we receive this gospel, this message of resurrection life? And I think in many ways this morning we are left in that same place that the women were left at the empty tomb. They're they're faced with how to respond to the angel's proclamation that Jesus Christ has risen. He is not in the grave. right? He has gone ahead of us. So how do we respond? How do we make space in our lives for something this big? This significant. In just a minute, we're going to turn to the the longer ending of Mark's gospel. And what we see there and what we see in several of the gospel writers is that in the, the moments and hours and days following the resurrection, there were a diversity of responses to that event. Even among those who were closest to Jesus, they, they heard and received the news in different ways. Some, like Mary Magdalene, we'll see, move rather quickly through their fear and through their alarm and manage to receive this news with faith and hope and then joy. But others, like the twelve disciples, are more stubborn. The gospel writers tell us that they chose to stay locked up tight in the upper room. They remained in the grip of fear and in despair. Almost unable, maybe even unwilling to embrace the news of the resurrection. We may wonder at that response, but try to imagine all the events that that preceded Easter morning for that group of Jesus' friends and disciples. Right? The, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the disappointment, the doubt. In my own life, where I've come through particularly hectic or stressful or challenging circumstances, right? seasons where that goes on for weeks or months sometimes, One of the hardest things to do in those seasons is to continue to trust in the goodness of God, the promise of God. Instead, when life feels out of control, right, my first tendency is to look for ways to take control back. One of the great temptations when our life or our future seems uncertain is to stop hoping in God's promise. And instead to sink into despair. I think that's some of what we see in the disciples in these passages on Easter morning. 
According to Thomas Aquinas, despair is like shutting the door on God's grace. Shutting the door of our souls to to close out the, the promise and the certain hope we have in what God desires to do in us. Because we are fearful of disappointment. And in doing so, our, our souls shut out the work of God, the possibility of God, the promise of God. As we look this morning at this longer ending to Mark's gospel, here's what I would like for you and I to explore. I'd like us to consider where our own hearts sit this morning in respect to this gospel that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that that his resurrection life has been offered for us to enter into and to participate and to hope in. Where are our hearts this morning? Are we more like Mary, who is eager, almost desperate, to, to place her hope and trust in this message? Or are we a little more thick skinned, tough, and hard of heart? like the twelve disciples. So I'd invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 16, verse 9 and following. Let me pray for us as we consider these things. Jesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning to the sure and certain hope of your gospel, the gospel that includes your resurrection life, however incomprehensible, however surprising, however challenging that hope may be to our doubts and our circumstances. Lord, unveil our eyes. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Help us to receive you this morning. Pray that as I teach and preach this morning, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're picking up in verse 9 today, and I mentioned that last Sunday the, the Gospel of Mark and its conclusion is somewhat unique among the four Gospels. In that our our best guess, given the New Testament manuscripts we have, is that likely when Mark himself wrote this gospel, he concluded, we think, in verse 8. That's where he left off. But we also know that from the manuscripts we have, within the first few centuries of the life and the worship of the church, these verses 9 through 20 were added almost like an appendix reminding us of the events we find in the other gospel writers, especially in Luke and John's gospel. Almost all of the content in these verses we we find described in the other gospel writers. And so while these verses were probably not authored by Mark, they did have a significant place in many of the earliest Christian communities that Mark's gospel would eventually be passed on to. So I want us to consider in particular the message conveyed in verses 9 through 15 today. And what they tell us about 
not only the, the earliest disciples' ability, but our own ability to receive the news of resurrection. Look with me at verses 9 through 11 to begin. It says, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And again, we've just received that in the first eight verses of Mark. A woman out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. So again, last week, verse 8 left us with this group of women, Mary Magdalene included among them, who were struggling to make sense of the empty tomb. Right? They were alarmed, they were overcome with fear. But they were also given the angel's command right, to go, to, to encounter the risen Jesus, to move beyond their fear and to receive this news more fully. Here in verse 9, we discover the first of the disciples, the first of Jesus' followers, to summon the courage to take those first steps. Steps toward receiving the resurrection. And that person is Mary, Mary Magdalene. We don't get a lot of details in this account, at the end of Mark. But if you were to go to John's Gospel, we would see there that Mary, despite being troubled and alarmed at the empty tomb, she goes away, she tells the disciples what the angel has said. The tomb is empty. And then she returns for a second time again that morning to the tomb. And there she discovers a man she thinks is the caretaker the gardener of that, that space outside the tomb. And Mary pleads with him. She says, tell me what you have done with the body of my Lord. Right? Where have you taken him? But in that moment, she sees that the body of Jesus is not taken away somewhere else, but that this is the body of Jesus. No longer crucified, dead, and buried this is his resurrected body. And John tells us that, that for a moment she clings to Jesus, but then Jesus again sends her back to the disciples. Mark picks up that, or, or this ending to Mark picks up that account, and tells us that, that Mary returns likely full of amazement, full of joy, full of wonder at the risen Christ meeting her. But in verses 10 and 11 here, we see that she runs headlong into a group of disciples who are stuck in a very different place. Right? They are in a place of shame, probably pondering their own failure, pondering their betrayal. They are mourning and weeping that day. And so when they hear Mary's report, it says that they refused to believe when Mary says that Jesus was alive and that she herself had seen him, it says they withheld their faith. In Luke's gospel, we're told that they call Mary's account foolish nonsense. 
Right? That's almost hurtful in their tone. This is the question that I want us to think about. What is it that allows Mary's eyes on that morning to see the resurrected Jesus? To discern him even in, in the face of this, this gardener, this caretaker who she mistakes him for initially. Right? How is it that, that Mary goes beyond and, and sees the reality of the resurrection? While the rest of the disciples, again, stay locked up. They stay in that upper room. What is the condition of their souls on that Easter morning? Is there something different at work? What is it that allows Mary to receive the resurrected Jesus while the rest of the disciples won't even hear her out? Now, of course, there's evidence. There's always things that we see, things that we experience that that influence the conclusions we arrive at. But I think more often behind our conclusions, behind the things that we allow ourselves to believe, are are assumptions. There are are things operating under our hood, so to speak. Anxieties, fears. And in many cases, those things shut down our ability to hear God speaking. They shut down our ability to see the revelation of God. To notice where he might be challenging us. So here, these disciples have first-person testimony from from a close companion of Jesus. That he is alive, that she has seen him with her own eyes. But they can't hear it. Right? It's like their own stuff. Whatever is, is in them, whatever is operating under the surface that morning, prevents them from moving toward that hope. Somehow they, they first have to lay down that fear and that despair. So we're told here in verse 12 in Mark's Gospel that Jesus decides to send not just Mary's witness, but another pair of witnesses to them that day. Verses 12 and 13. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So we have Mary's witness to the disciples. She comes, she tells them what she has seen, they refuse to believe. And now we're told on the very same day, that morning, that afternoon, on the road going out of Jerusalem, there are a pair of disciples who become the next witnesses to the resurrection. And again, we don't get a lot of details here, but Luke gives us a much fuller account of this encounter. And I love the details he provides. We're told that these two friends managed to walk with Jesus for hours that day. They go back and forth in all kinds of debate and discussion. But they have no clue who it is they're speaking with. It's almost as if in their despair, in their discouragement, they are unable to see him. And we're told in Luke's Gospel that, that they tell Jesus about their disappointment... 
about their shock, about their inability to understand the events that have transpired that weekend. And at one point, Jesus comments to them how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he says, don't you know that the Messiah had to suffer all these things first, only then to enter into his glory? So they continue on the road with them, and it's not until that evening when they sit down to a meal, until they break bread with Jesus, that we're told their eyes are open. And they finally see, they finally receive in that moment the resurrected Jesus. And then they say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? along the road, right? Even in their blindness, even in in their hardness of heart, even in whatever it was that prevented them from seeing Jesus, right, there was something that they could sense, something within them that, that burned, indicated that he was with them. In the Easter devotionals from Christianity Today that many of you were reading these past weeks, the author Mark Buchanan says, most of us, as we seek to follow Christ, are like these two. We are people of the slow-burning heart. He goes on to say that sorrow and hope, awe and self-pity, wonder and worry, believing and doubting, yes and no mix loosely in us, tugging us one way, jostling us another. But even as all that's taking place, he says, Jesus walks the road with us. But even then, we can still look straight at him and not recognize him. Right? How, do we, how do we come to a place where we see and discern the risen Christ that walks with us? We're told that these two with their slow but now burning hearts, they run all the way back to Jerusalem that night. And they share their encounter with the other disciples. But now for a second time, they are met with an underwhelming response. Verse 13. It says, The disciples choose not to believe them either. As one commentator on this passage says, it almost seems as if the disciples in their stubbornness and sorrow actually prefer unbelief and despondency to God's joyous truth and resurrection. Why would that be the case? Is there any chance that that we sometimes find ourselves stuck in the same mindset as the disciples are here. Right? Is there a chance that, that we are, in fact, disciples? We have heard the call of Jesus Christ. We've left things behind to follow him in our lives. But then we get tripped up at receiving the fullness, the, the promise, the hope of his resurrection life in the day in and the day out. Each day do we choose to place our hope, to remind ourselves that he is risen and and allow that to to recast and reorient our horizon 
what we believe is most true? Or do we listen to the other voices in our lives? The voice of despair, the voice of control, the voice of our own failure. Well, Mark's gospel goes on here to tell us that these disciples are given a third and final encounter. Verses 14 and 15. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubbornness, their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then there are a few additional verses that that go on to explain the, the power in which that proclamation will be made. So for a third and final time here in Mark's longer ending, the disciples are confronted by the reality of resurrection. And where they were unwilling to go and even see the empty tomb, at least most of them, where they were unwilling to believe the report given to their friends, Jesus now chooses to go to them directly. But notice that the moment has become bittersweet. Right? Jesus comes in the glory of resurrection life, in the glory of his, his new victory. But that moment now is also followed by a rebuke. Verse 14 is a growing pain moment for these disciples. And Jesus says their lack of faith has made them stubborn. Literally, hard-hearted is the, the word in Greek. Even though these disciples receive the, the luxury of a personal appearance from Jesus, Jesus tells them that it was his desire for them first to believe the reports that were sent to them, to believe the testimony, to believe the, the gospel proclamation given to Mary and given to the other two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus desires them to see whether it's with their own eyes or whether it's through his Holy Spirit that burns in their hearts. He wants them to know that there is not, there cannot be a gospel without the resurrection. These things have to go together. And so Jesus follows his rebuke here with a command. Just as Mary was sent from the empty tomb by the angel with a message, right now the disciples are told to move from that place of their own failure, that place of their own despair. And Jesus says they are to go into all the world and to preach this gospel to all creation. They are to preach the gospel of resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now for an overwhelming majority of us throughout Christian history, right, physical encounters with the resurrected body of Jesus Christ have not been offered. Right? I, I never saw, I have not yet seen the risen Jesus in the same way that Mary, in the same way that these disciples see him in this passage. 
Instead, we are asked to believe, to place our hope and our trust in the gospel that has come as a result of their proclamation, as a result of their going out to all creation with this testimony. We heard part of Paul's proclamation in 1 Corinthians 15 in our call to worship this morning. And in that same chapter, Paul tells his friends in Corinth, it is by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Those in Corinth were not first-hand witnesses to the resurrection, but Paul relays this gospel and he says, hold firmly to this gospel. And he says, this is the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel we have received, we have heard, but most of us struggle, right, to to take it in, to allow it to, to change who we are, to place our full trust and hope in it. When I was 19, I had the chance to spend a few months in Jerusalem and in Israel studying there for a semester. And I've shared before that that four months was a difficult time in my own faith journey. It raised a lot of questions for me. It raised a lot of doubts. And I remember in that season asking God to to show me somehow that he was real. Let let me see you walking out on the Sea of Galilee just like the disciples saw you. Let me see your resurrection with my own eyes. Something, show me that I can place my hope and trust in who you are. That this gospel is true. And I remember one morning that spring, again, feeling heavy with despair and with doubt and and just kind of tired of of trying to work through all, all of this on my own. Sorting all that out was exhausting. And we were camping by the Sea of Galilee that morning with some friends, and we had found a fishing boat who would let us kind of hitchhike out onto the sea that morning. And we spent the day on the lake, and to my disappointment, there was no Jesus walking out on the water that day. But that morning and that afternoon, I had this uncanny sense that there was resurrection life, but I was seeing and experiencing it in the friends who were with me that day. There was a a real and living presence in them, a tangible hope, and and as they encouraged me, as they shared with me, as they just spent time with me, they, they preached this gospel to me, even with all the doubts that I was experiencing. And so spending the day with them nurtured the, the seeds of that faith that God restored and grew more fully within me over time. Right? That, that confidence in the resurrection, that encounter with, with the Spirit of God, with the living presence of Jesus Christ, is something that God has come back to again and again in my life. But again, it, it's something we have to choose. It's something we have to place our faith in. Eugene Peterson has written a great book entitled Practice Resurrection. It's his commentary on Ephesians. And he makes the point that in order to be people of faith, in order to grow up in our faith, we must 
choose deliberately to practice this hope. He writes in that book, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life. Life out of death. Life that trumps death. Life that is the last word. Jesus' life. And he says we practice resurrection when we realize that that the normal conditions of our life and our walk are that Jesus is alive and present to us. Like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walks with us even when we struggle to see and know him. question I'd invite you to consider as you go into the week ahead is what are we doing with this gospel of resurrection? where, Where might Jesus be with us be revealing himself to us, but it's not, it's not a lack of evidence that's keeping us from moving forward. Maybe it's something in who we are, in the condition of our souls, our own despair, our own need for control, other circumstances. How can we bring those things to the Lord and ask him to help us to see what he's doing, where he is? And even more, how can we spend time in the scriptures? How can we spend time in in God's presence so that we might hear, that we might experience that, that sense of our hearts burning within us, pointing to him, beginning to reveal who he is and what he is up to? We have an invitation, but we don't just experience resurrection life automatically. We, we have to make ourselves available. We have to come like Mary does with, with desperate hope so that it might take root in who we are. And so today, on the first day of a new week, may you receive the resurrected Jesus. And may his resurrection continue to be underway in you as his people. Do you pray with me? Lord, in many ways, the power of Easter morning is a mystery to us. We cannot fathom, we cannot understand how you triumph over death. How you bring us from death into life cannot discern why you appear in some places and not in others. But we are left with this testimony. Not only that you were raised from death, but that you continue to walk in the power of that resurrection beside us, with us. Or give us eyes to see you. Give us hearts to trust you. Give us lives that are marked by this gospel so that we may continue to proclaim its reality to those we walk alongside. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.